Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Everybody, everybody doing good this morning? All right. Well, if you're watching online, we are so thankful that you're here this morning with us as well. Uh, last week, we had an awesome weekend, Easter Sunday. I know some of you were, were new last week and kind of come back. Uh, it was a really, really good weekend. We saw 10 people make decisions for Christ. Uh, we saw uh, several people start to get connected at church. And so, man, it was just a really, really good weekend. And, and uh, we are so thankful that uh, many of you are back. And, and we're looking forward to diving into a new series that I think is going to be helpful, whether you're watching online or you're here with us this morning. Before we dive into our series, I wanted to mention something uh, that we, we get a question here kind of often. Uh, one of the questions that people have, and, and if you're new to church or if you're new to City Walk, or maybe you've been coming for a little while and you've wondered this question, and the question is this, how do I get connected? Like, all right, I come Sunday morning and I talk to a few people, but man, how do I get connected? What's the best way? And really the best way by far here at City Walk is to join a city group. And our city groups, we have seven of them that meet throughout the city, uh, and they meet different nights of the week, and they're just great opportunities to get to know people. They're great opportunities to take what we've learned on Sunday morning and kind of make application. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible, or if you do know a lot about the Bible, you can come, and it's just a really, really great way to get connected. Our group, we actually meet, we're the one group that meets at the church and we meet on Wednesday nights, and man, we, we love our group. We love spending time with our group. We have, man, great relationships with them, and we, I missed this past week because I was not feeling good, and when I miss, man, it, it is. You miss not being there, and if you're in our group, you, you know about the Fincham family. You know that our family loves dogs, so we have a bunch of dog lovers in our group, and so if you're a part of our city group, you will find out pretty quickly, maybe on the first night that you're there, that man, specifically my wife Lori, loves animals and loves dogs. And so we, about a year and a half ago, we kind of entered a new journey with our family, and we entered this journey of dog breeding. And so we, we realized like our college isn't free, at least most of the time, uh, and so my daughter, Julie, is going to be going to college. And so we're thinking, you know what, man, we need to maybe do something to put a little bit more away. And so we thought, man, let's, let's enter this dog breeding journey. And so we did. And so we have this dog, Opal. And if you've been to our house or if you follow my wife on Instagram, you might not know that she has kids or a husband, but you will definitely know that she has a dog that she is pretty passionate about. And, and Opal is Man, her dog, and that dog follows her everywhere. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. But that dog is hopefully going to be uh, providing us some money for our kids' college. And so we, we've entered this phase of dog breeding, and it, it's been fun, and we've had some good experiences, but we've also 
had some really awkward moments because we have an eight-year-old daughter. And our eight-year-old daughter doesn't understand the whole how do babies come about. And so she thought, man, just recently our dog went in heat. And she thought, man, our dog's in heat, so it's pregnant now. Let's, man, let's celebrate puppies. And we're like, Kate, and we didn't want, we obviously don't want to lie to her. But we really weren't ready to like walk through the whole process with her yet. So we kind of kind of came up with a creative answer that wasn't a lie and, and kind of came up with a creative answer. All right, Kate, Kate, here's a little bit of information. And then we changed the subject. You want to go get some ice cream? You want some candy? And, and we kind of move on. I, because in our house and probably in your house too, if you're a parent or grandparent, whether it's biology, whether it's faith, whether it's something about relationships or a career or really any questions that our kids have, we want our, our house and our family to be a, a place that's a safe place to ask questions. There, there's nothing more frustrating than having a question and, and being afraid to ask it or not being allowed to ask it. And whether you're eight years old or whether you're 88 years old, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's even skeptical and not sure what you believe about this thing, every one of us have felt that frustration at times in our life. We felt that frustration of, man, I've got a question that either I'm not allowed to ask, I'm kind of afraid to ask, I'm not sure how I'll be treated if I ask this, but I have a question I wish somebody would answer. And sometimes over the last few decades and, and way more than that, the church hasn't always been a safe place for those kind of questions. The church hasn't always been a welcoming place for people to say, hey, I've got a question I don't know the answer to, and, and it's not really been a safe environment for people to ask questions or even struggle with doubts. And over the next three or four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to try to have a conversation and we're going to have a conversation and we're going to talk about some of those maybe big questions that you wish somebody would answer, you've wanted to ask, or maybe you've asked and somebody gave you just like a quick, have more faith answer, and you really didn't get your answer. And we're going to try to have a conversation about some of those questions that maybe you've had or people in your family have had about faith and the Bible. And whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, no matter what lane you find yourself in as it relates to faith, my hope for you is that you'll lean in. If you find yourself, maybe you would say, I'm, I'm kind of in the lane of skeptic. I'm a little cynical of the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you would even say, I'm, I'm agnostic or atheist. My, my hope for you, and, and, and kind of I'll say it this way, is would you be willing to doubt your doubts? Over this next few weeks, as we begin to talk through some of these questions and maybe some of the doubts you've had about faith or Christianity or Jesus, would you at least be willing to just lean in and at least just doubt some of your doubts? And maybe do that with the same passion that you have doubts. Maybe, maybe say, hey, okay, for a season, for a few weeks, I'll I'll at least doubt my doubts. I'll investigate a little bit further. If you find yourself in, in that lane of skeptic, that's what I hope you'll do. And for those of you and many of you watching online and here this morning, you'd say, I, I find myself in the lane of Jesus follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. You may have begun to follow Jesus a long time ago. Maybe for you, you began following Jesus just a few days ago. 
as if you find yourself in that lane, my, my hope for you is that you will follow the advice of Peter. And Peter, he said it this way in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what Peter said. He said, always be prepared to give an answer uh, or defense. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you personally have. Peter says, here's my, my prayer for you. Here's my advice to you is that you would always be prepared to give an answer, a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason, your reason, for the hope that you have. Here's what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say you have to have the answer to every question. He doesn't say that you have to know how to explain every verse. He doesn't say that you have to be able to give an explanation for all the people that have done crazy things in the name of Jesus that Jesus would have never signed his name to. He doesn't say that at all. Well, what Peter says is he says, I want you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be prepared to give the reason for the hope in you. Be prepared to defend your decision to follow Christ. Another way to say it is this. Be prepared to defend your hope or confidence in Jesus. See, for Peter and for the rest of the kind of first century followers of Jesus, their hope, their answer was an event. It was the resurrection. We talked about this a little bit last week. For, for the people that were around Peter, the people that he was writing to in the first century, when, when he talked about, hey, what is the reason? What is the reason for your hope? What is the reason for your confidence in Christ? For them, it came down to, well, dude, I, I saw Jesus, heard him teach a little bit, hung out with him a little bit. Then I remember the, the whole come to Jerusalem and they they, they killed him. I remember that too. I, I remember him bloody and it was kind of messy. And uh, yeah, he crucified and between two thieves. And I, I remember he died. And, and then I remember that a few of his friends and, and, and some of the people that were really close to him, they took his body off that, that cross. And, and then there was that tomb. They put his body in the tomb and rolled the stone. And I, I remember that. But then like a few days later, I saw him. And then a few days later, we actually had breakfast together. And for them, that their hope was, was anchored to an event. It was, man, I saw Jesus. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead because I saw him. And it was the hope that they had. And, and so as Peter's talking about, hey, what is your hope? You don't have to be able to defend every single verse and every question. First of all, you'll never be able to. Neither will I. But you have to be able to defend why you follow Jesus, why you have confidence. And hopefully your answer isn't, well, because my mom and dad said that, or that's what my pastor said. The goal for you in this series is to maybe get some answers to be able to say, hey, yeah, my pastor said that, and yeah, my mom and dad said that, but, but I don't believe this just because of that. I believe and have some solid answers. Today... The, the, what I want to wrestle with, the, maybe the big question that you've had if you're a follower of Jesus or even skeptical, and it's a, a question that a lot of people have is, can I trust the Bible? 
So for some of you, you grew up in a home where you were taught the Bible as far back as you can remember, and you just took what you were taught, and you just believed it, and you've never doubted. That's kind of how I grew up. I grew up in a family that probably the very first Sunday I was home from the hospital, I was probably in church, and pretty much every Sunday since then. And my mom and dad explained the Bible to me, we did devotions, and I just never doubted. And I remember not doubting because I remember watching Jesus do some radical things in my family. Over the time when I was a teenager, my family went through a lot of stuff and a lot of bad decisions were made by different people in my family and there was a lot of hurt, but I watched Jesus do some really cool stuff. And so for me, there was never a, a, an issue and, and maybe that's you. Maybe it's like, man, I just, hey, I was first day I was in the nursery. They told me Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. I've just believed it ever since, never doubted. But there's probably a lot of you that say, yeah, that's kind of how it started. But then I went to college, and then I grew up, and the flannel graph stories of Jesus, they just didn't really do it for me anymore. And somebody asked me a question I didn't know an answer to, and then they, they went to this passage in the Old Testament and asked me about a verse, and, and I, I wasn't sure, and I, I just started to doubt. I, it kind of was like a house of cards, and they pulled one of my cards out, and kind of I had this crisis of faith because I, I didn't have answers to all these questions. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you'd say, Chris, I'm, I'm just a person that, honestly, I've just never bought into it. Yeah, I've had people around me that have kind of bought into it, and I've respected them, but I've just never really bought into it. See, for those of us that, man, grew up in church, and then we, we walked away, you kind of walked away from it because of, hey, somebody brought up something I didn't know an answer to, and you kind of had a crisis of faith. That crisis of faith was really, if that's your story, was built on a false assumption. And here's what I mean. The foundation of our faith is not the Bible. You're like, what? If you take that out of context, that's, you think I'm a heretic for saying that. But there was a lot of people that began following Jesus before there was ever a Bible. So the foundation of our faith is not the Bible. You can, you can poke holes in it if you want, but that's not going to change my belief because the foundation of our faith is not a book. It is an event. Without the event, the book wouldn't matter. Without the event of the resurrection, the book would just be another religious book. The foundation of our faith is that there was a guy by the name of Jesus who was God and man. He lived a sinless life. People saw him. He died on a cross. They saw him die. They put his body in a grave. Then they saw him again a few days later. A lot of people saw him a few days later. And that's the foundation of our faith. It's an event, which brings us back to that question. Can I trust the Bible? Can I, like Chris, you, you say the foundation of our faith is an event, but it seems like you're pretty big on the Bible too. And I would say, absolutely. Can I trust the Bible? And, and, and when I say trust the Bible, here's what I mean. Let's, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This is what Paul says about the scriptures. And this will kind of explain what I mean when I say trust the Bible. It says this in, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired. That, that basically, that word inspired means God-breathed. All scripture is inspired or God-breathed by God and is profitable. 
for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God and is helpful. It is profitable. And Paul kind of lists what it's profitable for so that you as a follower of Jesus will basically have everything you need to please God and live the life that God wants you to. And and for me personally, I believe the Bible is true and can be trusted. But it's not because somebody told me that. But there's a lot of other reasons. And I want to share with you some of those reasons. That the reasons that I believe the Bible is true and accurate and it can be trusted. The first reason is this. And you're probably going to think, man, this is a pretty bold statement. Here's the first reason. The Bible is the most reliable collection of ancient writings by far. The Bible is the most reliable by far collection of ancient writings and let me let me let me explain that kind of unpack that when when you if you know anything about ancient writings you know that there's basically two primary measurements for what makes an ancient writing uh something that people trust and that is reliable and here's the here's the two things the two things are this how many copies of that ancient writing do we have so, so how many? Do we have one copy? Do we have a hundred copies? How many copies of that writing do we have? Because when we have a lot of copies of something, then we can compare and we can see, okay, this is accurate because they all say the same thing. So copies, how many copies? And then the second way we kind of measure ancient writings is how much, how much time passed from when the, the writing was originally written and the first copy. So if, if if the, first, if the original writing was written in 100 AD, and then the first copy we have is the year 2000, it's like, well, there's about 1,900-year gap from the very first copy we have compared to the original. And so let me unpack a few of the ancient writings that we respect, that we never, we'd never doubt. The first one is this guy by the name of Plato. So Plato was a Greek philosopher, mathematician, lived about 400 BC. And we have about 210 copies of Plato's writings. So 210, that's a lot. I mean, we've got 210 copies of things that Plato wrote. And the time gap from when he actually wrote them to when the, the copies that we have were written is about 1,300 years. So it was kind of a big time span between when he wrote them and the first copies. Let's talk about Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, he wrote the the Gaelic Wars, and and we have 251 copies of his writings. And the time gap is 950 years, so it's a little bit smaller than Plato. From the time that he wrote it to the actual copies that we have were written, because we don't have the original, but we have the copies, about 950 years. So it's like, okay, pretty good. And then let's go on to something that you probably learned about in literature, whether you wanted to or not, Homer's Iliad. So it's kind of the standard for historical accuracy, and we have quite a few copies. We have 1,800 copies of Homer's writing. And you can see the time gap from when he actually wrote them to the first copies we have is, man, it's a lot shorter 
than Plato and Julius Caesar. So man, it's kind of like I said, the standard that people look at for ancient writings. And so man, it's a lot, lot shorter than the other writings. And so, but how does the New Testament stack up? How does the Bible stack up? Well, the New Testament has, we have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. And about 6,000 of those are the entire New Testament. So we have 24,000 parts of it. So we might have the book of John, we might have the book of Acts, we might have the book of Luke. But 6,000 of those 24,000 are the entire New Testament. And the time gap from when the original was written to the first copies is 50 years. And so you can see, and you, you can go look this up. This is not just, I didn't make this stuff up. You can go look this stuff up. You can see that when you compare the New Testament, and, and even the Old Testament, when you, when you start looking at the Old Testament, we, we have, you, you bring the Old Testament into this, we have over 60,000 copies. So when you compare the New Testament, Old Testament, the Bible, to any other ancient writing that we don't doubt, that we give credit to, it blows them away. The Bible is by far the most reliable collection of ancient writings. And it's one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true and can be trusted. But it's not the only reason. Another reason that, that I think, whether you're skeptic or whether you're a follower of Jesus, that you should lean into is this. Jesus took the Scriptures, the Old Testament, seriously. Like Christians, we, we take the Old Testament seriously because Jesus did. Jesus, he referenced, if you read through the Gospels, he referenced the Old Testament all the time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Don't think that I, have, that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. That's another word for the Old Testament. I, I didn't come to, to diss the Hebrew Bible. I didn't come to throw all that stuff out. He says, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus believed it was inspired. He believed, he, he took it seriously. He referenced the Old Testament all the time. But he didn't just reference the Old Testament, but he actually referenced characters in the Old Testament. The, the religious leaders came to Jesus one day and said, Hey, Jesus, hey, what do you think about divorce? And he says this in Matthew chapter 19. He says, haven't you read? He's referring to, what, was, what do you think he's talking about? The Old Testament. You guys have read the Old Testament, right? You're supposed to be experts in this stuff. He says, haven't you read? He replied, that he who created them. Who, who's them? Adam and Eve. He, he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. See, what, what's more compelling? I believe the story of Adam and Eve because it's in the Bible, which that's great. Or, hey, I believe the story of Adam and Eve because Jesus did. People ask me, hey, why do you think what you think about marriage? Why do you think what you think about this and that? And what I tell people is it's because that's what Jesus thought. So if you don't like what I believe about certain things, you got to go talk to Jesus because I just am, like, that's what he believed. So what he believed is what I believe. And yeah, is there some crazy stuff in the Old Testament? Yes. You, you read through the Old Testament, you're like, what? 
what, is, what does this mean? And they actually did this back then, and this happened. Yet yeah, there's some stuff that, man, it's kinda, it seems kind of crazy to us. But here's the thing. Jesus took it seriously. It was important to him. And so because Jesus took the Old Testament seriously, so do we, or so should we. And so I believe the, the Bible is true and can be trusted because it's the most reliable ancient writing by far. Go, go Google that today and you can, you can find that out. But I also believe it because, man, Jesus, man, he believed the Old Testament. He talked about the Old Testament. He talked about characters in the Old Testament. It was important to him. And so it's important to me, and it should be important. If you're a follower of Jesus, it should be important to you. But, but the third, maybe the last reason I'll share with you today, that, that I believe that the Scriptures are true and can be trusted. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're kind of in that lane where you'd say, Chris, I'm a little skeptical of this whole thing, but I'll, I'll lean in. I'll lean in. I'll, I'll maybe doubt my doubts a little bit. But the third reason is this. The authenticity of the Gospels and what they say about Jesus. So we, we believe, and I'm going to tell you why, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are authentic writings. Like They're, they're authentic. And what they say about Jesus. So we, we, believe, we believe what they say about Jesus, and we believe they're authentic. And, and maybe you push back. Maybe you have an objection. And here's a, a legit pushback like, that I've heard from people. And it's, it's simply this, since the Bible is the source of what Jesus said, aren't we using the Bible to prove the Bible? Is that, is that a little bit weird that we would actually use the same book to prove the same book? Is that, doesn't that rub you wrong? And I would say that's, that's absolutely not what we're doing. And, and here's why. The word Bible is a, is a word that means something to you and means something to me whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. But, but the word Bible actually means the books or books. The, the word Bible, it's a Latin term that comes from a Greek term, and it simply means books. Because the Bible, we, we've made it a book, but it's not a book. It's a collection of books. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts. It's a collection of 66 ancient manuscripts. 39 of them are Hebrew, and that's the Old Testament. And we've combined those 39 Hebrew Aramaic books with some other books, 27 of them that, that are written in Greek, that are originally written in Greek. And that's what we've made the, the, the Bible is 66 books. It's not one book. It's 66 books that were written over over a thousand year period of time by several different authors. And so when you compare one, you know, this is what it says about Jesus with, with you're not comparing the same book. You're comparing different authors that may have lived three or 400 years apart from each other. And so as you think about that, and, and this, and you, you probably know this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the most important documents that we have as it relates to what we know about Jesus are the first few books of the New Testament that we call the Gospels. It's that I already referred to it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And see, Christians don't believe the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. 
Christians believe the Gospels were included in the Bible because they are considered reliable. And and, and here's why they were considered reliable. Because people that, that studied them and compared them early on realized like these are authentic words. As we compare this, this, this is the authentic words of Jesus. And, and because they were considered authentic and because they knew who wrote them, they were then included in the scriptures. See, the gospels are considered reliable because of who wrote them and when they were written. Let me explain. So how many of you liked history in school? How many of you hated history? Even if you hated it, listen up, because I'm about to do a little history. So this is what you need to, because if you're a follower of Jesus, your answer to why you believe the Bible, please don't make it. Well, it's just what my dad always said. Ah, it's what my church believes. No, no, no. You can trust things. You can, you can look a little bit deeper and have real reasons. And this is one of the real reasons. See, the most important date for Christians, other than what's written in the New Testament, specifically Jewish people, is 70 AD. So in 70 AD, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. You can read about that in your history books. You've probably read about it in your history books. That was by far the most monumental day really in the history of the Jewish nation after Jesus died. I mean, it was a massive day where everything changed for them. Josephus, who was a historian, who was born just a few years after Jesus died, within five years of when Jesus died, this guy Josephus was born. He became a a historian, wrote all about the Jewish uh, history. And, And so he was living when this was happening. Here's what he wrote about that time period where the Jews were at war, where the temple was destroyed and everything changed for them. He said this, it'll be up on, on the screen. The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle without men and women, old and young insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who entreated mercy were hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The legionnaires had to clamor over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. And Josephus, when he writes in history, he he writes and, and, and he said, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people were killed during this, this war that destroyed the temple, killed all these people. I mean, it was a big, big deal. And and after this war was over and the temple was destroyed and kind of ancient Judaism totally ceased, there was no more temple, there was no more sacrifices. After this war was over, Emperor Domitian, he built this arch that you're going to see on the screen. He built this arch in honor of his brother Titus, who was the, the emperor when they took down the Jews. So in honor of his brother in honor of, of what his brother did to the Jews, he built, you can go see this arch. He, he had this arch built in honor of taking out the Jews, in honor of what, the, what his brother Titus had done. And if you were to look on the inside of this, you would see literally carvings of Jewish people carrying off artifacts from their temple when they were fleeing from this war, from this destruction. And so, man, this is a big deal in Jewish history. But here's the thing. Here's why I tell you that. 
There is no mention of the war against the Jews or destruction of the Jewish temple in the New Testament. And this all happened in the same area that all the New Testament, all that stuff happened. This is all the same area. So why in the world, if this was such a major day, like this was monumental in the history of the nation, happened in 70 A.D., why is this not mentioned in Paul? Why did Paul not even mention this? Why did the Gospels not even mention this? Why? Because it hadn't happened yet. Why didn't Matthew talk about this? Why didn't John talk about this? Why didn't Paul talk about this? Why didn't Peter, why didn't he write any, I mean, just a, a sentence about it? It's because it hadn't happened. And so Jesus died in about 32, 33 AD. The destruction of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD. So that means there was about a 37 year window. And in that window, Matthew was written. Mark was written. Luke was written. John was written. All of Paul's writings were written. And what's so awesome about that is they were written and there were eyewitnesses everywhere of the thing. So they, they, they couldn't write a bunch of stuff that wasn't true because it was like 10 years ago this stuff actually happened. And they wrote the entire New Testament within 50 years of when the stuff actually happened. And so they had eyewitnesses. It's like, hey, I'm going to interview you and I'm going to write this down. Hey, go check. Go talk to, to Tom because I know I wrote about him in here, but go, go make sure it's accurate. There were so many eyewitnesses that when this, this stuff was written, this isn't like, hey, 300 years later or 1,000 years later, some guys got together and kind of to keep this thing going and there's nobody alive that actually lived during this time. And so let's just kind of make this thing up. Now, they wrote this stuff within a few years of when it actually happened. So Matthew couldn't write a bunch of stuff that wasn't true. John couldn't. If he would have wrote a bunch of lies, it wouldn't have made it. Because there were people that actually lived it that were still alive. See, this, the Bible is not a myth. It takes about 80 or 90 years before myth begins to happen. And, and that begins to happen because all the people that actually lived it die. And so 80, 90 years later, you can start writing stuff that might be true because none of the people that actually lived it are alive to say yes or no on it. But this stuff was written within a few years of when this actually happened. The disciples, they weren't confused about what happened. They were, weren't like, hey, what, what happened? It's been about 300 years. What did we kind of hear through the ages happen? No, like, we lived this. You lived this. You lived this. You lived this. And we wrote it down. See, the Gospels are reliable because of who wrote them and because of when they were written. And so as, as we begin to kind of close down a little bit, we begin to kind of... Uh, come to an end this morning, I want to ask you a question. Which lane do you find yourself in? You're watching online. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. Well, what lane do you find yourself in? Maybe if you're honest, you'd say, Chris, I kind of find myself in that skeptic lane, that cynic lane. I'm not, not really sure I buy into the whole thing. And, and the question I would have for you is simply this. What is your reason for not believing? 
And if your reason for not believing is because, hey, somebody poked a, started to poke around at me about something in the Old Testament, and I wasn't sure the answer, and, and this thing kind of all came down like a house of cards because I didn't really know the answer, and so I just had this crisis of faith, and so now I'm skeptical of the whole thing. If that's why you don't believe, you're under a false assumption. You're under the false assumption that the foundation of our faith is a book when the foundation of our faith is an event. And so if, you're, if you find yourself in that skeptic lane, you find yourself in that cynic lane, my, my prayer for you and challenge to you is, hey, would you be willing to lean in, kind of delve in in a fresh way into the scriptures and do it with an open mind? To say, hey, all right, I'll set aside kind of my, my past cynicism. I'll set aside kind of all the, the stuff I'm skeptical about. And I will, I will try to look at the scriptures again. And I will try to come with a fresh mindset and, and, and kind of look at it maybe in a new way. Would you be willing to do that if you find yourself in that lane? And maybe you find yourself, and I know many of you do, in, the, in that lane where you would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And my question for you is, what is your reason for believing? And if your answer is because my parents or my pastor, that's a pretty weak answer. See, you can walk through life confident in what you believe and why you believe it. it your answer doesn't have to be, well, I think my grandpa believed this, so I, I kind of going to believe it too. I'm glad your grandpa believed it. And he probably had good reason to believe it. And you can too. And so why do you believe what you believe if you're a follower of Jesus? It doesn't have to be because somebody told me or because I grew up in a family that believed it. Those are all great things. But you can have confidence. So that when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know that, that verse in the Old Testament that says this and says this. And oh, did you know it said this? And did you know in history this happened? You don't have to fold like a house. You don't, have to, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to like, oh, well, I'm going to throw the, the towel in. I'm, I'm not going to believe anymore. No, you can have confidence for the hope you have. See, your role is not to defend every verse in the Bible. It is to bring the hope of a resurrected Jesus into the spaces that you're in. That's what your role is. If you're, if you're a Jesus follower, you're... You don't have to be the one. I mean, I hope you are reading your Bible. I read my Bible every day, and I continue to try to learn, and I hope you are too. But, but you don't have to be able to defend every single verse and every question. You just need to bring Jesus and the hope of the resurrection into the spaces that you're in and trust God. See, can the Bible be trusted? Absolutely. Not only can it be trusted, but it has the power to change people's lives. Last week, we saw 10 people turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. We, we saw people say, you know what, I'm going this way, but now as I've heard the scriptures and I've heard about Jesus and the resurrection, I want to turn from the way I'm going and I want to go Jesus' way. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. And that wasn't because of me, it wasn't because of the band, it wasn't because of some, some, some person, it was because the Holy Spirit of God took the Word of God and drew somebody into a relationship with God. It's powerful. 
Year after year, story after story, we see God using his word to heal and give hope and life to the hurting. It is a lamp and a light in a dark world. No matter what lane you're in, I dare you to regularly and humbly spend time in God's word. Whether you find yourself in the skeptic, kind of cynic, not really sure what I believe, or you find yourself in the Jesus follower just because somebody told me this stuff, or you find yourself in the Jesus follower because I believe it, I trust it, I spend time in it all the time, and my trust grows. No matter where you find yourself, my challenge, my hope for you, and and really my dare for you is to would you regularly and humbly Spend time in the scriptures and allow the scriptures to do what the scriptures have been doing for thousands of years. Let's pray. Dear God, we're we're so thankful for the scriptures. You didn't have to give us your word, but you chose to. You chose to give us your life-giving, true, inspired, accurate word. And over the years, over the last several hundred and even thousands of years, people have been trying to poke holes in your word. And the enemy has tried to make us question whether we can trust you. But now thousands of years after you left this earth, Jesus, your word is in more places than it's ever been. And day after day, minute after minute, you are healing, you are saving, you are redeeming people through the power of your word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're watching online or you're here this morning and and you would find yourself maybe in that skeptic lane. Maybe you came to church today and, and man, you're a little skeptical of the whole thing. Not sure what you believe, which, which is awesome. I'm so thankful you're here. I hope this is always a safe place for you. My question for you this morning is, would you just be willing to doubt your doubts? Would you maybe just lean in in a fresh way? A good place to start is is by maybe picking up the Bible and just reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start there. And, And bring your questions. Bring your skepticism. But just spend time. And if you have specific questions, man, we are here to help. We're here. We don't have all the answers for sure. But we would love to sit down and talk. And so if you have questions, if there's something we can do for you, man, stop by the next steps table. See one of us. We'd love to set up a time with you and talk through this. If you have questions about a relationship with Jesus, man, we'd love to help you come to that place where you say, hey, I admit to God that I've sinned. I've done things my way. I I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And man, I want to start a relationship with God. You can do that today. You don't have to wait to meet with some of us. But we would love to meet with you if if that would be helpful. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. Maybe you've just started following Jesus last week. Maybe you were one of those people on Easter that started a relationship with God. You don't have to have an answer to every question about the Bible. There's honestly no one that's ever lived besides Jesus that had every answer. The call on your life is to love people the way Jesus did and take the opportunities he gives you to tell people why you are a follower of Jesus, why you have hope. And your hope and my hope is tied to the fact that Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the grave. And he's alive today. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, my my prayer for you is even in this moment that you would just recommit yourself to loving people the way Jesus did, to spending time in his word. And then when opportunities come by having the courage to tell people about the hope you have. Dear God, I thank you for hope. I thank you for the fact that you gave your life, you shed your blood, Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to because you loved us. Even while we were sinners, you loved and died for us. I pray that we would lean in to what your word says. And Lord, I pray that your word that we can trust would transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.